Welcome back to CineQuest. Um, today we're going to be talking about Interstellar, and I have my brother-in-law Mason here with me. And Little Addison. Mace. Not just me. Little Mace. <laughs> Mason, my boy. Howdy. Mason in the basin. This is Scott's brother, for any listeners that are wondering. I'm not related to him. I guess it would have to be, though, for it to be my brother-in-law. <laughs> Woo. Big brains on cake. <laughs> I'm going to be fidgeting the whole time because of this mic stand. That's okay. I do this the whole time. I need one of those little hand fidget things. Same. So you guys, well, this was the first time Mason has seen Interstellar, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And what was your general consensus? I loved it. I thought it was great. I also, the whole time I was really confused because I've always heard people didn't like the movie because they didn't understand it, and I have no idea what's not to understand. <laughs> you were confused by calling other people's Calling all of you stupid. <laughs> there you go. Just call them all morons so they can <laughs> click off even faster. <laughs> you didn't get a Nolan movie? <laughs> yeah. Fucking nerd. <laughs> You're not going to understand Christopher Nolan. Only true cinephiles yeah. understand Nolan, <laughs> our Lord and Savior, Christopher yeah. Nolan. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand him, but Interstellar was good. What What don't you understand about him? It, it, it's not that I don't understand it. You did. The first time, <laughs> the first time I watched Inception, it was before I even got into movies, so I had no idea what was going on, and I don't really remember. When did, what year did that come out? Inception? Yeah. Like 2010, I believe. Yeah, so I was like 7th, 8th grade. I was I was too small to understand or to appreciate. But then Tanette, me and Mason were talking about Tanette, and it's like one of those movies that's like built to watch again to yeah. fully get the picture. Because when that movie started, it, I was like, did I miss something? Yeah, no, What's you going made me on? Pause it. Yeah, and I, I was asked like, you hey. questions. I was like, <laughs> and I never do that. I hate people that do that, but I was genuinely lost. What's I, the name like, of the movie, Katie? I like movies like that. Tenet. Excuse me. Tenet. Tenet. <laughs> Tomato, tomato. I like movies that just throw you right in like that. And yeah. I feel like Interstellar does that, too. Well, in my defense, I had gone to the bathroom when you started it. So when I came in, I wasn't sure if I missed something or not. Like, if I was supposed to know what was going yeah, on or not. Just, yeah. You're here. Yeah. It's time to party. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Nolan that way, though, makes all of his movies in that format to where they all have that rewatchability. Yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think he makes movies where it's like you just watch it once and you're like, oh, okay. I feel like he goes out of his way to make it to where he wants people to kind of go back and study it and keep looking for more clues and more little Easter eggs here and there about what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, I think that's the best part of this movie is that you could probably rewatch it three, four more times and notice something new mm. every single time you watch it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if you understand the general plot the first time, there's probably more stuff that you'll pick up on. Definitely. Yeah. Because I saw it in theaters when it came out in IMAX, and I was blown away. One of the few movies that I actually walked out of me and my mom both just walked out of there, and we just didn't talk to each other. We were both just thinking. We were just like, that was good. Yeah, that was good. We had no idea what we watched, but, I mean, I, I feel like that's all, all of his movies are and meant to be that way. The day Addison became a man, yeah. <laughs> you walked out of the theater petrified. Well, I've, did, I've seen every Christopher Nolan movie in theaters, so I feel like it's just gotten to the point where I'm just like, oh, well, I guess except for Memento. I haven't seen Memento in theaters or following, but they were before my time. But, I mean, any time I've ever seen a Nolan movie, I've walked out and I've just been like, he does it again. (laughs) (laughs) 
lightning strikes more than once, more than twice. However that saying goes. Right. <laughs> lightning strikes the same place twice? Yeah, something like that. There you go. It, it strikes more than twice. In the same place. <laughs> Um, I hope it strikes more than twice. I'm a moron. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's never mind. It's what? what? It's not supposed to strike in the same place twice. So I don't know. No, but I get what you're saying, but I don't know if that's the right like metaphor to you. Capture lightning a in a bottle more than once. Is that the same? Y- yeah, sure. Capture that sounds, lightning in a bottle. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. yeah. Sure. 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 <laughs> the first time I saw Inception, not Inception, Interstellar, was. Wow. It was with Scott, and we were supposed to be on a double date with these people we worked with at Ingalls, and the other girl's boyfriend didn't show up. It was a catastrophe. Scott had to pay for this girl the, the meal and the movie also because her boyfriend didn't show up. We need to hear this story. Up. You know, this, we're naming this episode something different. We need to hear about this story. <laughs> <laughs> Katie's going to just unpack. <laughs> Could you imagine getting stood up, and then you watch a movie about a dad leaving a daughter on a planet? And right. And it's just like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just well, like she slept it. through the movie. It it, um, I'll leave it at that about her. But um, Scott watched it, but after he got out, he was like, it's too long. And I haven't rewatched it since. I loved it then, but I haven't rewatched it since until this morning. Mm. So. I don't think it's too long at all. I think it was paced perfectly. Uh, yeah. 160 yeah. minutes, 169 minutes of awesomeness. Yeah, it doesn't slow down, and it's not, you don't get the feeling that they were just making stuff up just to make it last longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That movie fits its time frame. That movie probably could have been an extra hour. Maybe. Yeah, I feel that way, too. Because, I mean, he got real astrophysicists and scientists to work on this movie so the science would be accurate. He did the same thing with Tenet. But it's just like they got the black hole, like, apparently the black hole simulation in this movie was perfection well didn't they say that that it actually forwarded the study of black holes and that it actually kind of created the f- one of the more accurate images of a black hole yes because originally no one knew what it would look like but then they did the equation and then put it and like rendered it in like a visual visual effects thing to see mm-hmm. how the code would work out and how the equation would show the light and everything and that's what showed up was the black hole gargantua that you see in the movie yeah, and then people were like, "So that's what a black hole theoretically would look like," and that, like you said, it furthered what people would understand about how it like traps light, captures it, how it circles around it, and everything. Christopher Nolan was born to do many things, and I think making movies is one of them. And he probably could have been a wonderful philosopher. <laughs> he, I'm sure he is in the philosophy and science because I mean, Oppenheimer is about to come out, and it's yeah. got Einstein yeah. in it and Oppenheimer, and they they did the same thing where. Science is very heavily involved. In a, he was talking about like an interview where he was like, you know, we didn't actually set off a nuke, but we simulated setting off a nuke. And it's <laughs> like, I don't understand if you're trying to tell me that you actually did set off a nuke and you just don't want to say it for the movie, or if you guys theoretically like did everything that a nuke would do without the radiation aspect. But it's like, did you really... Sh- like blow up a bomb for a movie <laughs> and film it on IMAX. It's like what <laughs> control is the U.S. government giving Christopher Nolan? Exactly. <laughs> it's like how much pull does this dude have? Christopher Nolan's really behind the strings of everything. Exactly. The Illuminati, run <laughs> yeah. by Christopher Nolan, confirmed. When Multiple was, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> when I was reading about all that stuff that the scientists did, Christopher Nolan wanted to ha- have the aspect of time travel in it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he did where he can see the different time frames of him and his daughter in his house. Yeah. But he wanted, like, a little bit more of it in there. 
but to have it more scientifically accurate, they kind of scrapped that portion of it. And it made me wonder if that's why he did Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. Well, the the t- the time stuff in Interstellar is so interesting because it's based off the fifth dimension theories mm-hmm. where like there's this whole idea theoretically that if there's fifth dimensional beings, time would be like a physical plane like for us is like this. Right. Like they could like if this was a mountain, theoretically fifth dimensional beings could walk up to the peak of a mountain and that would be the future and then they could walk back into the valley and that'd be the past. And so the tesseract that he gets into by going into the black hole is him kind of playing around with the aspect of the fifth dimension yeah. time could be a physical manifestation. So that's cool. Like that part of it is scientifically theoretically accurate, but you know, right. I'm sure they did scrap a lot of the much more strict restrictive aspects of it. Cause yeah. he wanted it to fall back into the, the sand and, you know, pushing the books and everything. And that has to be the emotional connection. So you can't throw all of your, narrative out simply just for science but right tenets the same way you know time entropy going backwards in time they kind of had a little leeway with that too yeah but just like the difference in it like it made me wonder what he had to s- not do for interstellar if over time he was able to come up with something that was more scientifically back to be able to do tenet yeah more and more of a way that leans towards time travel yeah i don't know I'm sure it was just something that just didn't work for the actual script. Yeah. I'm sure he was just like, well, if we did this by the books, we would have to throw out this whole subplot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, with the fifth uh, fifth dimension thing, I like the aspect of how all these people think that there is a they or some sort of, like, them that has sent these people there yeah. to the um, the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called, right, correct? Yeah. Um when the Tesseract has always been there, it's, j- it's like just the physical manifestation of time and there's no, no one person created it. There was no like somebody sent them there and yeah. or some sort of mystical time traveling being <laughs> just made it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, it's that thing where it's kind of just like Tenet also in that way where it's themselves in the future that is controlling their actions to lead up to that point. Cause yeah. they even, Coop says that when he gets in the test rack. He's like, these aliens, these extraterrestrials, they're not someone else. They're us. And they're trying to help us figure out what we need to do. Just like Tenet, the protagonist, is the guy who started Tenet. And he's recruiting himself in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay. <laughs> well, with that, um, with the whole bookshelf thing and kind of your future self controlling your past self to get the outcome that you're currently in, do you think that, if that makes any sense, um, do you think that that same situation repeats over and over again, or if it's one of those things where he kind of broke it, like the outcome that happens at the end of the movie was an anomaly? Does that make any sense? I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think he broke it, because I think the entire aspect of the movie is meant to be a circular yeah. chain where you see everything happening in the chronological order, but then once you actually get to the Tesseract, it's Coop laying the groundwork for yeah. what you've already seen. So I don't think he broke the chain because everything he does just leads to the cycle restarting. Like by him leaving the clues in her bedroom when she's young, having the Morse code, having the books, oh, yeah, doing yeah. the watch thing in, in her watch and all that. That all just leads back to her in the past. She's just going to do the same thing. Well, I, I mean, I agree. But I, I asked because I've seen a lot of people debate that over the end of this movie. So a lot of people acknowledge the whole like circular time thing. But then say that the ending 
where it creates a potentially better future and that they find the second or another planet is the anomaly. Like it kind of breaks that um, circular notion with time. I don't know if it breaks the circular mo notion simply because her finding the planet at the end was also was part of that circular was also notion. part yeah. of it where he sacrificed himself gets launched back in the black hole so she can get to the other planet and then she takes off her helmet finds out it's habitable but her friend is already dead there like i feel like all that still that still fits into a part of the plan i don't think that would throw off anything because that's still in the future like yeah. the only stuff that would change the future is the stuff that he changes in the past and all the stuff he does in the past only affects what's already <laughs> happening so yeah. it's like <laughs> it literally is circular i don't see how anyone could argue that he's changing it like there's an anomaly there because it all it all just goes back into itself people people are wild they'll come up with anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing about Christopher Nolan movies is that they'll have they'll have a set ending and a set way you're supposed to perceive it but you can also just kind of look at it from other perspectives too oh for sure yeah I feel like all of his movies are like that yeah because people with inception argue to the end of the earth over if he's in a dream or not at the end and then tenant people argue to the end of the earth if they actually stop everything and is the fact that they have to go back over and over are they really changing anything and it's like robert pattinson said in tenet it's like i, I choose to believe that this is how it will play out and so that's how it's going to happen but he also goes back in time and sacrifices himself <laughs> over and over again and it's like okay yeah so it's like it, how much of it is faith how much of it is you know actual math written. and then like written out like how, i guess it's that argument of fatalism where it's like, is this your fate and destiny? Or is the argument of, is this all just circumstance and chance happening over and over yeah. again? You, there's really no way of telling. And I think that's Nolan's obsession with time, is that he doesn't know the answer either, but he can sit there and still play around with he it. He can make about four movies about his different ways you could perceive time, and one of them one day will be correct, and everybody's going to look <laughs> at Christopher Nolan as a god among men. <laughs> Almost every single one of his movies deals with time. Yeah. Almost yeah. every single one. Dunkirk deals with time. Interstellar deals with time. Tenet deals with time. Memento deals with time. Like, they all. Like, I guess, I don't know if you can say Inception deals with time. I haven't seen Inception. I mean, kind of, I guess, in a way, because when they're in the dream world, stuff gets slower and slower in each level. Like, each level they go down, that gets slower for them. So, I guess maybe he deals with time a little bit. But I would say so. But still, it's like he's obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's his Artur trope for him. It's time. <laughs> Because even Oppenheimer's going to deal with time, I feel like, because all the nuke stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Taking time bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Do you think that... I've heard some people... As I've heard, I've read that a lot of people... That movie's set to be a one-and-done. It's how it's written. And Christopher Nolan doesn't do sequels besides um, the Batman trilogy. We had talked about that um, before this. But a lot of people... We're curious to the opening of a second movie. If Christopher Nolan were to do it, would it, would it even be necessary? Like, would there really be anything to go off of? Because they found the habitable planet. They could just it could be like, what is it, Prometheus? Where they find a planet and it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to remake Alien and Prometheus, where yeah. it turns out the habitable planet is a total Been inhabited. shit show and it's a <laughs> silo of just weaponry for another race, that would be horrible. <laughs> but, I mean, no, I'm... I don't know. I'm kind of a sequel hater when it comes to stuff like that. It's like, I don't think every movie needs a sequel. Oh, and, I agree. and it aggravates me when people are just like, I want a sequel for this. It's like, 
Why? You just want though? more of it. Like, you should rewatch it. You should the, relive it. The story is complete in the yeah. way it is. There's some movies I think that deserve sequels and sometimes need them. And sometimes the sequels are better than the original, like The Dark Knight, Batman mm-hmm. Begins. That's, that's a big upscale right there. Yeah. And some people argue Blade Runner's uh, 2049 is better than the original. Yes. I, I love both those movies. But I probably would be on the side that 2049 is... Just like a, a little peg bit above. better, yeah, just, just slightly better than the original. They're both perfect, though. But yeah, I just don't think, <laughs> I just don't think everything needs a sequel. <laughs> and an Interstellar sequel would be stupid. Yeah, because it's Interstellar, so it's about, it's about all the discoveries. So if they just made another one, it would just be about moving Earth to another planet. It wouldn't even be the same thing anymore. Yeah, because they already got, they already got off Earth by the end. Yeah, yeah, and the magic with. Interstellar is how crazy like those discoveries are and like what they actually find out what else would there really to be to discover in the second movie exactly right because they found I mean, the habitable planet and yeah. Coop and Brand are on that planet together and then everyone else is on I mean, the new station that's just a simulated earth and they're all living happily so what it's they like, needed yeah. to know was solved yeah <laughs> what do you need to do what do you need to have you yeah. just want to see Coop and Brand just surviving on that planet together, yeah. like Martian some sort of or other Mag- MacGuffin. <laughs> it's like the the core of the planet is about to explode, and they yeah. have to figure out some sort of <laughs> quantum mechanics. Yeah, it'd just be ridiculous. And plus, I don't think no one's ever going to do another sequel in the rest of his career. So he was done with franchise movies after the Batman movies. So I think we're just only going to get standalone films from him for the rest of his career, which yeah. I'm fine with. Yeah, it's always good. It's working for him. Yeah. He's putting out bangers after bangers. Yeah, and everybody loves them. Yeah, he's probably one of the only directors that could market an entire movie just off his name. Yeah, Any, anyone can see a trailer and it says from director Christopher Nolan, and the whole theater's like, <gasps> or Michael Bay, but for different reasons. Yes, <laughs> Michael Bay is like the film bro version of Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Michael Bay! He's come out with a new movie. Explosion. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny though, because Nolan actually likes Michael Bay's direction when it comes to action and stuff well he mm. michael bay uses a lot of practical effects when he can and christopher nolan yeah. also loves practical effects christopher nolan uses practical almost entirely like he he refuses to do visual effects unless it's absolutely necessary mm-hmm. almost everything is practical and yeah because then they make all like the ships where you see the zero gravity and everything those were i mean those were real and they t- spun them didn't they mm-hmm they had little models and stuff. I mean, just like 2001, how they did all those perfect models in Stanley Kubrick's movie, and they had the simulated space and everything. And you built, like, entire sets that spin and everything so it looks like they're in a ship. Like, he, he's all about that. Even in Inception, where the guy's running down the hallway, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and the whole hallway is spinning. That was an actual set they built, and it's on a crane, and they're actually spinning the hallway as he's <laughs> running down it. So, yeah, he's not the one for visual effects. What do you think about the whole... Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> every time Katie talks. Yeah, every talk. time she tries, one of us should just be like, and? <laughs> what do you think about... Uh, <laughs> um, I was going to say, what do you think about the dynamic between, like, um, Murphy and Cooper? Because a lot of people were upset about how they wrote her, saying that even, I mean, even in as a child... She should have at least said goodbye, but I think they kind of re- try to they try to refuse to understand that that kid was angry. <laughs> I mean, her father was leaving her out of nowhere after she just helped him find this massive discovery of NASA. To me, 
I hate, I hate it when people do that because it's what you would want in a movie, but if you really want to get into a movie, each of these people are their own person and their own, they have their own character or character development, and for her, it made sense for her to be like that. Oh, yeah. But it, this movie is, this movie's devastating. Like, oh, it's horrible. There are so many times that you will cry throughout this movie. And it, it all revolves around Murphy and her relationship with Were her you dad. you crying at work when you watched oh, this? Oh, for sure. And I finished it on my lunch break, thank God, because <laughs> <laughs> I was in there crying, like, gotta wipe it off for somebody comes in here. Were you eating your lunch and just like, fuck? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. just like, unfortunately. <laughs> just like crying. Well, it's so bad, because it's like when he leaves, she runs outside, but he's already gone. And then she never sends him the video at first, and so he's, like, crying because it's never from her. And then when they gave it back off the first planet, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. Because they both are d- devastated that it's been 20, years 20, of their life. 23, yeah, 23, 23 yeah. years. And he's getting all these videos, and he's watching his kids, well, his son grow up. He doesn't even see his daughter until she's an adult in, like, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I couldn't imagine because I'm only 27. So if you're gone for 23 years... That's almost my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I completely agree with your point, too, that it's so weird that people automatically put expectations on characters and assume that they should behave a certain way, especially in a standalone movie like Interstellar where there's no prequels or sequels, there's no established character yeah. development or anything. So, so to sit there and argue and be like, she didn't say bye. That's so stupid. It's like, have you ever seen a kid mad? Have you ever seen them get a temper tantrum? Right. How stubborn they are, and you and she does. That's the most heartbreaking part. She tries to run out there and realizes that might be the last time she sees him. Mm-hmm. And then he's driving off, crying in the truck, and starts doing that countdown of five, four, and it's like fuck, <laughs> like no. <laughs> and also to think that it's said multiple times, and it's shown that she is incredibly smart for her age. Oh yeah, and, and I mean, incredibly Cooper, stubborn Cooper, too, like her dad. Yeah, and Cooper. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't shown that he wasn't like that father to always sideline her. He listened to her, but he also, I mean, he had to be realistic in some aspects. Like, you know what? He had to kind of pull her back. But that for them, for her to actually have her accomplishment to where he listened to her, and then they found NASA. <laughs> like, they found this big accomplishment because she chose to sit there and get his attention long enough to where he sat there all night trying to figure that out. And then she found that, and then he's immediately ripped away. Yeah. Like, during her, like, whole moment, almost like her whole moment of glory. Yeah. Yeah. Which, that's the cool part to me, is how much the the family dynamic, how much it's set up, and how well it works for how little you actually see the family unit. Yeah. Like, Tom just wanting to be the farm boy, he's not doing that well in school, whatever. His test even told him that he should just be a farmer, or whatever. And then Murph is, like, spitting image of her dad. She just wants to follow his shoes, be a scientist. And even when she's like, there's a ghost in my room, he's like, well, find the facts, do the figures, figure it out, figure out yeah. what it is. He Like, he's already trying to lay the groundwork for her to be this very intelligent human being that will probably give to society, which she ends up doing. Right. And it's uh, and I, I just love how he sets up all of that. And you and even before he leaves, like you just already feel that dynamic, and you're like, oh, it works. It works so well because Matthew McConaughey, such a great actor, he's phenomenal, and he's so good as Coop and being yeah. the father and all that. Like when they're chasing the drone through the field, and he just wants to catch it and just yeah. like hack it and everything. And, and he's doing it all with his kids, field. and he's like, hey, switch, and his son yes. has to like climb under him to with get the, the flat tire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I love all of that. And the, and the Murphy stuff is just the most heartbreaking, especially when he sees her when she's older, like on the station. And he sees his whole like bloodline. Yes, <laughs> like, all yeah. his grand, like his great great grandkids <laughs> and everything. And she's like, no parents should watch their kid die. And I'm just like, damn. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. rough. Yeah, it's that rough. is rough. And I like the fact that. It wasn't one of those kind of, like, drama plots where she never forgave him up until she finally saw him. Like, she forgave him years ago, and it was when he was in the Tesseract because she she realized it was him the whole time. Yeah. So I'm glad that she got to forgive him then and then give him the peace of at least saying, hey, you need to step out. Instead of it being kind of like a – I say drama plot harshly. I don't mean it. But – um, I mean, it's pretty wha- dramatic. <laughs> well, I mean, one of those things where it's like she finally forgives him as his, has her dying breath. It's kind of like the typical. Yeah, the cliche. Yeah. Yeah, I do like that aspect that she does realize it's him. And then, but the unfortunate thing is, is once he gets catapulted out of the Tesseract, it's another like, what, 50 yeah. years yeah. or so in the future. So he's even more. 50, 60 years. Like, yeah. she's old. He's even more thrown out than he was after the water planet. <laughs> Bro, the first time I watched this movie, I knew, I just knew that it was going to be like Jessica Chastain's character. Like she was still going to be young and it's going to be great. They're going to like go do science <laughs> together. And he walks in there and I, 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 I use devastated a lot, but this is one of the most devastating movies I've ever seen. Like just to think about time that way and missing everything. Yes. And I, I love I love thinking about time that way because it like you said it's all about perspective and I think no one loves that too is how you can make people think about time much differently than just linearly, and it's so hard for people to do that like in Tenet when he was talking about you're still thinking about time linearly you're yeah. doing it wrong like you need to sit there and step out of yourself, be objective and actually look at how this is going, and I I love that because from a subjective standpoint it's hard to not be biased mm. and not look at time like oh man this is. It's fleeting, and I'm only here right now, and I'm not worried about it. But then when you actually sit there and sit down about it, it's like, damn, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of does hit you. Like, oh, yeah. In a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Which Can we also talk about how Topher Grace is just destined to play a little prick in every movie he's in? <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he didn't was have a lot his of, best, he, okay? He didn't have a lot of screen time in this movie. <laughs> All he played was Eddie Brock for Spider-Man 3. He was just kind of like, he was just kind of pathetic in what he was in. And I love Topher Grace, <laughs> but it's the, it was almost the same character. You shitting on his Venom, bro? You shitting on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3? <coughs> <coughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> no, I actually love Spider-Man 3. That's kind of an unpopular opinion. <laughs> hey, I think you want emo Tobey Maguire? More power to you. There's nothing wrong I with that. I don't want that. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Why not? That's such a cult classic, though. Full on camp. What were you going to say? <laughs> I mean, that's Did you just way give to up do. on your sentence? <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it's such a cult classic. <laughs> I said, though, at the end. <laughs> I just I thought you were about to zone out. <laughs> no, it's a, that movie is becoming a cult thing for our generation. Oh, definitely. I feel like a lot of old movies like that have just completely solidified themselves for our generation yeah like the newer generation there are even people now talking about the dark knight how it's like that's the shitty batman now people talk about the dark knight as the shitty batman i and wouldn't go that far no they legit, have their they're like zoomer generation now that kids in that generation that are sitting there saying like oh you like the christopher nolan batman oh, blah, blah, batman they think it's stupid <laughs> i'm not wearing hockey pads yeah 
like they're like we're in we're outgrown now in that respect. Even even two thousand eight, the Dark so Knight is being shit on now. What the fuck? That's what I'm I mean. Saying. I know people. Now we know how our parents feel when we sit there and like, oh, that was cheesy. Michael and Keaton like, was what? terrible. <laughs> yeah, but that movie's not cheesy. <laughs> to us, to us, it's not. But which one's not? I'm Nolan okay. or Michael Keaton? Okay, well, The Dark Knight. No. I'm talking about right now. The Michael Dark Keaton. Knight. I know what you're like rewatching it because me and Scott rewatched all three of those not too long ago. You can. It's aged for sure. I mean, every movie. But ages. it's not. I don't know. I mean, people have their... I have my opinions on his Batman, his specifically him in the suit. But I don't <laughs> I guess think that's, that... I guess that's right, because I'm thinking Heath Ledger's Joker made that movie. So that's what I'm thinking about. Like, that's what made it such a great movie, in my opinion. Well, there's a strong argument to be made that the, the villains in all the Dark Knight movies made each movie. Like, Killian Murphy's Scarecrow, Heath Ledger's so Joker, and then Tom Hardy's Bane are all pretty phenomenal and very unforgettable. I'll also I defend his Bane... I, I mean, people people harp on his voice, and I get it. They even had to re-release the movie in theaters. Like, I think it was like two weeks after it came out, they sent a different version where they cleaned up his voice because nobody understood. I, love I will still voice. defend his Bane. It is so iconic. <laughs> I love his voice. I think it's perfect. And I saw it when it came out in theaters, and I understood what he said. I think that's the same people that complain about Tenet's sound design. They're like, what? I can't hear him. It's like, dude, you guys are so used to and just bottle fed by subtitles that y'all just completely forgot how to listen hey to don't be hating on subtitles now no it's true though i i completely believe that our generation has gotten so used to streaming services and just watching shit with subtitles that they have completely given up on how to sit there and actually listen to a movie i completely think that because there are even times when i've tried to play movies and the quality is not bad at all and people will be watching it's like what they say it's like you guys are so used to just watching subtitles. You can't just sit there and turn your ears and your eyes on at the same time, it seems like. Yeah. I don't hear well, so. Well, I do it for the people around me because the people I typically watch movies with don't hear very well. Yeah, I don't hear <laughs> well at all. And you know there's a difference between hearing well and then just sitting there and just putting on subtitles because you're just lazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I just, there. I will not, I will miss something. And I'll be like, what is going on? I did not hear the last, like, five minutes of what they were saying. It was too garbled. <laughs> too garbled? <laughs> yeah, like, it just doesn't compute to me. Well, I mean, <laughs> speaking of gargled. Uh, Hold well. up. Pause. Pause. Garbled. Uh, Batman. <laughs> Christian Bale's Batman. People claim it just sounds like he just gargles marbles the whole movie. <laughs> So I think I think subtitles in those movies might be justified for some people. <laughs> I think some people too can't have can't can't accept all things. And I've I've said this before and this is a really unpopular opinion, but I liked Jared Leto's Joker as well, but and it goes I'm leading into this to say that it goes with the way people feel about Batman's. It, there's different types. Like, Robert Pattinson's Batman was a different type of Batman than the other ones. Like, Christian Bale was a lot older, moneyed, all the things. And you can't compare. They're different on purpose. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're um, the director's vision. I will also defend Christian Bale's Batman. Or not Christian Bale. Ben Affleck's Batman. Because I think, honestly, given the... I don't want to say proper because I think Zack Snyder set out for what he wanted to do, but maybe in a more easily publicly perceived story, Ben Affleck probably could have been the the best Batman. 
I think his Bruce Wayne and his stature and how he went about himself as Bruce Wayne and Batman was perfect. I haven't seen anything with him as Batman in it. So. Well, I, okay. I completely I agree. Because, I mean, it, it's all about the director's adaptation. And the funny part is, is most of the time when you hear people complain about superhero films and, like, comic book characters, they're like, oh, it's not comic accurate. And they would just want to cry in the room mm. and just grasp well, their why comic not get books. The, why not get the comic writer to make the movie? Well, also, at the same time, though, even when they are comic accurate, they still shit on it. Because, like, Robert Pattinson's Batman. It's year two Batman. I love it. Christian Bale's Batman. That's still not. That's the middle-aged Batman. Yeah, you know, he's just chilling. But then Ben Affleck Batman. That is the older, like Dark Knight Returns Batman, who's pissed off and yeah, does not give a shit, and he just wants. To, he doesn't care if he kills people. Well, like, that's how Dark Knight Returns was. Yeah, exactly. And people forget that that's Comic what. Accurate. Exactly. People <laughs> forget that that's what that adaptation's based on, and they yeah. just they get too caught up in the fact that he killed when their beloved character in the comics killed hundreds of people in the Dark Knight Returns. And they also forget that almost every Batman has on any screen movies. has killed people. Was it Christian Bale, uh, Michael Keaton, uh, Ben Affleck? I don't think Val Kilmer or George Clooney killed anybody, did they? Well, those were a little campier. Oh, well, yeah, really. there's a little more kiddie. I haven't seen them in a while, but I don't remember any distinct moments where they probably killed somebody. But, I mean, like Michael Keaton for sure did. Uh, he set Robert Pattinson sounded like he killed people. He just, they're beating their heads in off camera. Yeah. You're like, that man's head is caved in. It's yeah. going to be like a Game of Thrones moment where they pan down and his face is just caved yeah. in. Literally, Michael Keaton's Batman, he literally sat there and revved up his engine and turned on the nitro of his car and set a dude on fire behind the car. <laughs> and people want to complain about Ben Affleck's Batman holding a gun just yeah. to save Martha. And it's Blowing like, up a car. It's like, dude, that is the manifestation of his mother, and he thinks he's saving, he's breaking his trauma loop right now, and you think he wouldn't grab a gun this one time to make sure she doesn't die this time it's like okay this is also turning into a batman episode we went from interstellar <laughs> this like time warping movie to <laughs> trying to justify i guess batman. we're just talking about christopher nolan at this yeah. point yeah. Kind of, <laughs> it really just kind of got christopher nolan talk i guess to take it back to interstellar we this all started <laughs> with topher grace remember that <laughs> in your prick character this is all topher grace's fault we'll blame him for our tangent we love you but i guess to Take it back to Interstellar. I absolutely love the, the poem, The Rage Against the Dying of the Light, that's read it's every so time good. there's like those transitions. Yeah. I think it's great, especially when it's that one part where the ship, the endurance, is actually just going into the pitch black. It just looks amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so good. And that's like his dying those dying last words too. He started he started it. Yeah. And then he didn't get to finish it. Yeah. Michael Caine is great as Professor Brand. And that's one of the bigger twists in the movie Yeah. when you find out that he never found a way to solve the gravity equation. And he was just sitting there, and he was just like, yeah. Our and only he sent hope. his daughter and never said it? Yes. Sent her away, and he was like, uh, the planet's doomed. I've been known, and the only hope is those pre-fertilized eggs that they're taking. Hopefully they find a planet. If not, we're dead. And everyone's just like, what? <laughs> he failed them, just like he failed Master Bruce. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I said it before, but this movie has a pretty stacked cast. Oh, yeah. Matt Damon shows up for a little bit. The Martian 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> this is an audition tape for The Martian. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, like I said the, like I said to you guys before we even started recording, they did not market him whatsoever in the movie. And he, no one knew. And then when we were watching the theaters, like, he just shows up out of the cryostasis and everyone in the theater was just like, what? <laughs> like, Matt Damon's here? Yeah. And then he ends up being a total shitbag. He yeah. tries to kill everybody. It'd be so really funny if he just popped out and then he just looks at the camera. How you like them apples? 
just sits there, it kills everybody, and then just looks dead at the screen. How you like them apples? And it just <laughs> yeah. goes black. Written and like, just by like Chris a massive, just like super overdone Boston accent. That would be beautiful. I killed all the protagonists. How you like them apples? I love when uh, like movies that are not supposed to be horror movies create such great suspense. Because that moment when he's trying to attach to Endurance. Oh, while it's spinning? Yes. Yeah. No, well, not that, but before when Matt Damon's character, I can't think of his name. Oh, when the Do- airlock Dr. and stuff Man, is messed up? Yeah, yeah. When he's trying to, and she's trying to tell him not to open it, and it just explodes right before yeah, their eyes. Yeah, the pressure. Yeah. Oof. I mean, it, I love that, too, and I think Nolan's great at doing that and just building suspense. Yeah. Especially, I mean, like you like you said with the pressure scene, but then also when the actual endurance is just spinning out of control after the pressure burst, oh, the whole time and like, they have to match. Yeah, they have yeah. to. Lock, lock, <laughs> lock. They have to match the rotations <laughs> to sit there and lock onto it, and then they have to reverse the rotation to stabilize it, and they're literally just like sitting sideways <laughs> trying to sit there <laughs> and control it. I also like the fact that, if you think about it, that's also a big callback to um, – Michael Caine's character saying that they needed a pilot, that they needed him, because nobody else would have been able to do that except yeah. for Cooper. And yeah. he was the one who was test flying the Endurance yep. when they crashed, and that was the dream he had at the beginning. Yeah. Was test flying that craft. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the pilot part definitely came in handy. Because, I mean, without him, they wouldn't have gotten off. The, they wouldn't have gotten really anyway. <laughs> they wouldn't have gotten off the water planet either without yeah. him. That w- that's another moment of suspense where – He's sitting back, and he's like, those aren't mountains. Those are waves. Yeah. And especially because water up. is such a big fear for me, <laughs> I, it's pure panic. <laughs> the crazy part is that that is one of the most, like, suspenseful scenes because as soon as he says that's water, you just see the camera just start panning back and everything, and everyone's just like, oh, shit. And <laughs> yeah. was really having a day at work today. She was crying. She's probably sweating bullets from the anxiety yeah. of seeing the waves. Yeah. Everybody, at, everybody at your work is like, That's one thing about Katie. Her? Any movie she watches, if there's a suspenseful scene, Katie's over there, like, holding her breath, just like. I'm all in. <laughs> if I'm watching a movie, I'm all in. I mean, that's the way to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand how you watch any horror suspenseful movie because I feel like you would pass out because you're just over there holding your breath and just, like, clenching your chair. Just I don't so much anymore. I That used to be my main thing. That's all I'd watch. Chiller Channel stayed on. But as I've gotten older, I, I can't take it as much. It's, like, pure anxiety. But it's also an adrenaline rush, too. So it's, like, it's exciting to watch it, but... I can only do it every so often because it, it wears me out. It's like yeah. a mix of like, oh, God, are you going to make it? And it's like, is he going to make it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the sad part is there's some directors that sit there and like try and do the suspenseful stuff. Like they think they're kind of like Nolan or like Hitchcock or whatever. And, and you can just tell sometimes when it's a really bad director. And yeah. they're trying to do suspenseful stuff. And you're like, bro. You're like, I know what's coming. Next. Yeah, just get, out, get over please it. Please stop. Well, and it's good, too, because it, that whole even leading up to that was suspenseful where he knocks Matthew McConaughey Cooper's is that his name? Yeah, Cooper. Uh knocks his mask open. Oh yeah. And all the way the up to him running up there, getting on the ship. Like the whole thing was suspense. But it wasn't dragging where it was like it took him ten years to get back. Yeah, you know? it was a big plot point for the next yeah. half of the movie is oh is he gonna make it in time? Yeah. Yeah. Which also with um I still don't remember <laughs> Matt Damon's character's name, but Doctor Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um is that when he had a plan to try and kill Cooper, but he was also going to try and be comforting. Like, he was going to try and, try and in his head, make it seem like he was a good man. Because he's trying to sit there and talk him, just, like, kind of talk him down until he dies. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't stand here and watch it. 
So he keeps talking to him in his headset, and then he just hears him just, like, screaming and choking, and he just cuts it off. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those – that just shows his character. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a coward, first of all, but then also he him wants trying to, be to comfort honorable, him. But yeah, it's like, be, it's like the honorable code thing. Like, yeah. when someone kills somebody in, like, a warrior samurai assassin movie or something, they, like, hold their hand, and they're like, I'll be Put with their you sword till the on end or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, and then it's like that. He's a coward. He, like, says he's going to comfort him or whatever as he's dying. But they he can't it's, do it. But it's survival of the fittest, dog-eat-dog world. But then he's going to walk away and then just be like, I can't watch <laughs> and then cut it off. And I can't watch. Like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, you know exactly. what? No, no, it's not going to. He starts throwing up. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, dude, come on now. And that that's the other shitty part is that he, he kills the other scientists too by yeah. rigging the TARS yeah. to explode when he tried to investigate it. And it's like, yeah. you didn't have to do all that. Man. That was a little <laughs> extra. I was like, I thought he was just going to like maybe come in and like kill him with like barehanded. But I guess that does show more characters he's a coward he can't do it himself yeah yeah it's also just really shitty to do it that way yeah, so like extra. i mean <laughs> like i think it's a great plot point i thought it was an oh. awesome moment when it happened but at the same time it's one of those things where it's like you really trick this dude into thinking he's gonna help you rebuild your robot that you said was broken and you rigged it to blow up like how shitty of a person are you like he was literally trying to do something helpful to you yeah. right or for you and, I mean, he didn't even, when he did that, he didn't realize how many people were going to sit there and try and work on it. Right. So it's like, what if it was, like, all three of them sitting there trying to work on it and he blows up three people? It's like, you're, you're just a terrorist you're at that point. You're just doom- yeah. <laughs> dooming yourself. Yeah, you're just killing people. And you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to take the endurance and get mm-hmm. out of here. Also, like, the KCF, like, kind of, like, cameo. I am actually happy he got more scream time this time, uh, scream time than he did because I thought it was just going to be in the recordings because I didn't know that it was going to jump to present i thought it would show the present near the end and then it would just stay in or i say present as in what's happening outside of uh the black hole and i thought it was going to stay with cooper and that um whole area for the whole movie but when it kept switching back and forth and then casey affleck was actually had more screen time because uh, i didn't want them to waste him on a just like a little recording oh yeah yeah and it, they do so much character development in such a small time just, you know, her checking out his lung, his, his kid's lungs and then being like, you, you can have another kid die and them fighting. Just that small scene shows, like, how, what it's been like this whole time on Earth. Oh, yeah. And him just wanting to just be on the family's property and him wanting to live like his dad. Like, it was, it was honestly the same kind of loop that she was stuck in. She yeah. wanted to be like her dad, but he also wanted to be like his dad. But he's like, you know, this is where our family's buried. This is our land. Like, I'm not leaving. Like, you know, I kind of understand his side as much as I understand her side. Right. Where it's like, we need to get them out of here. The dust and stuff is in their lungs. And at the same time, he's like, where are we going to go? The whole earth is doomed. Like, why yeah. not just be on our property with our with our family plot and everything? Yeah. I also kind of feel like it was a sense of, for him, him wanting to stay so bad is because that was like, he was also smart, but he wasn't, he didn't have a future like his sisters. Like, he said that his teachers kept giving him C's. And then in the beginning of the movie, when he went to the school, that they just basically completely ruled out college for him at yeah. 15. Yeah. So that's kind of like one of the only things he was good at. And he was proud of being good at that because that's what yeah. his father was good at. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was almost like a, like a double whammy of like <laughs> hitting the nail twice just to keep it there. Yeah. So it's like he, he was going to stay there regardless. Yeah. I feel yeah. like a part of him was also holding out hope that his dad would show back up. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he, he knows that if he's going to come back to one place, it's going to be his house. So if they moved or whatever, he didn't ever want to risk the fact that he might be coming back. 
that kind of thing. Just like Murph kind of, she kind of gave up because after no more transmissions for a while, she was just like, yeah. Well, he kind of did too. Gone. He said he was letting him go. Yeah. After but part, how much of that is him, like a facade, just saying yeah. I'm letting you go just so he can stop doing the recordings, but how much of him was still like well, internally hanging his, on to it? Either his girlfriend or his wife, um, I don't know what it was at the time, told him that he needs to let go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. How much of him actually let go and how much of him was actually just holding yeah. on to it still? You know, it's one of those things you can get real subjective about it on how you feel his character felt about that. It's also really sad because he was um, much older than Murph. Or not much. He was a few years older than Murph. But he had already died. And it's like he doesn't get to see his son again. He got to see him grow up a little bit more. But he doesn't really get the ending with his son like he does with Murph. Yeah. Yeah, that is the unfortunate part. He, he gets to reconnect with Murph a little bit and have that closure. But he, yeah. didn't, he didn't really get that with Tom. And she probably didn't really know what happened between them the entire time because she didn't tell him by the time he got back she was dying. So yeah. he doesn't really know what happened between his kids because she burned part of the field to get them out of there, didn't he? Or yeah. was she just doing that out of anger? I kind of picked up that. It was a distraction so that they could take his wife and son. Mm-hmm. They could get him off the property. Which they were way too willing to just go. That was also a little extreme. Like, I know he was staying there, but I felt like they could have done more to convince him. Like, on screen. Maybe they did it more. Well, I, I got the, the feeling go. that this wasn't the first time they've had that conversation. Yeah. I think the wife was ready to go, and she knew the kids needed to leave. Yeah. But I think she was also, you know, kind of stuck under his thumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a, I feel like this, I, like you said, I don't think this is the first time this kind of conversation, this yeah. kind of throwdown has gone down where the sister comes in, and she's like, we got to get out of here. And the mom and the kids are like, yeah. And then <laughs> Tom is over there just like, mm it just seemed, like, so out of nowhere, like, taking them and just yelling at them to get in the back of their arms. Like, are they, like, what are they doing? And then I realized, I realized, like, the actual motivation. And then Topher Grace pulls out a tire iron, like, he's about to. Yeah, that was weird. I'm like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Casey like, Affleck would be that ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Topher Grace. Like, <laughs> That's why you need the tire iron. He was like, I can't take this dude on. Yeah, true. <laughs> Let me get the piece of metal out. <laughs> yeah. I, I will also say that I don't care for Anne Hathaway that much. I don't really like many of her characters, but I liked her in this, and I thought she did well with the character that she had. I don't either. And not to, like, hate on Anne Hathaway, because I think she does great at what she does. I just, I, I've never really felt any of her characters. And right. I started this movie, and I was like, okay, Anne Hathaway's here. I'm sure her character is going to be fine. And then I actually really liked her by the end. Yeah, me too. Which it also did good with the character arc, because at the beginning, she's supposed to be a little unlikable. Yeah. And then over time, she understands where Cooper comes from. She's not so um, emotion-driven. And she starts to understand what he's what he was trying to do. So then by the end, she's, I mean, she makes it. <laughs> well, and I kind of think that she kind of perceived him as a threat because he just comes out of nowhere. And, He's the pilot. And they argue so much in the beginning. Yeah. But then they have the big reveal together, and they're both like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they're the last two standing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not personally the biggest fan of Anne Hathaway. I think she's usually plays usually the same character in almost every movie. Mm-hmm. Like, she's one of yeah. those actors where she's kind of typecast, and it's like, yeah, it's going to be Anne Hathaway, and she's going to be... She's going to do her usual stick. That's kind of how I felt yeah. going into it. Then I was pleasantly surprised by the end. I was, too. I actually like her in Interstellar. I think she's great in it. And I think she has one of the best monologues in the entire film when she's talking about how love transcends time. And sometimes 
you just need to put your logic aside and actually go off your gut. Yeah. And then he did. Yeah, and it, exactly. it worked out. I like how they kind of took parts from each other. Like, she became less emotional, and then she made it. And then he became kind of, more emotional. Yeah, he got more emotional, and he is the whole reason any of them, like, any of it happened. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for his sentimentality and sacrificing himself into Gargantua, the whole movie would just be ruined. Like, the whole plot, yeah. the whole narrative, everything. No one would make it if he didn't yeah. do that shit. Yeah. Which I, I just love the aspect of, again, it's like Nolan, how he's always toying with fate, destiny, or circumstance, and it's the same with, like, love and logic. And he toys like, with the fact that maybe they go hand in hand. Yeah, you have, yeah. it's a balance. It's yeah. a balance. You can't just be all logic and you can't just be all love. Like, you gotta intermingle them a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... I typically, I actually thought that the movie was going to end with him just being stuck or him just dying when I the so Tesseract collapsed. And I'm typically for an ending like that. I don't like when it ends up being all okay in the end. When it comes to a movie with that with stakes that high, I think it can sometimes kind of feel like a cop-out. But with the way they handled it and what they did in that short i think it was like 10 15 minutes maybe not even that long it might not be it feels all so deserved it doesn't feel like a cop-out doesn't feel out of place it feels like everything was deserved and i'm actually like really happy that he didn't just get left there because he got closure with murph yeah but it it was closure but it still wasn't like pure happiness like she was still old and dying so i think that's why it didn't he got to know that he that she didn't hate him anymore for leaving Right, but I think the fact that the ending was both happy and sad was why it didn't feel like a cop-out. Probably. Yeah. If she would have lived, I, that probably would have felt a little more, a little too giddy for the, <laughs> this yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, that, again, that's that perfect balance. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when you watch movies that have that overly cliche ending, and that's when people start being like, oh, it's corny. People probably yeah. would have liked this movie a lot less if that's how it ended. Yeah. Like, they would probably would have forgotten everything that was so good about <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, sour endings. Can I would have been okay either way because you you just see that Murph figures it out. Mm-hmm. So either way, that's the ultimate goal anyways. So I would have been happy with it either way that it could have ended. Yeah. I feel like he had to make it to where Murph passes on and it's her lineage left and he knows that everything's all right with all the people on Earth. They got the station now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sh- so he can set him up for him to go find Brand yeah. on the other planet. Because if, if he got stuck in the happy ending with Murph, and then he gets to live all the rest of his life with Murph, and then hear about Tom, and maybe Tom's still alive, all that, Brand would just be yeah. on that planet by herself with Which, a dead guy buried, and she's just like, fuck. <laughs> 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 all right. Nobody <laughs> ever comes back. Yeah. It's, like, it's habitable, but I'm the only one here. I'm the only one happening <laughs> it. Which... You can also kind of say it might not be a happy ending because you also don't know what happens on his way to that planet because he doesn't like the station that much. He says that he doesn't like kind of like waking up to seeing all this. He liked how it was before. Yeah. He doesn't like the simulated reality. Yeah, that's what it was. I couldn't remember exactly what the line was. It just feels fake to him, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wanted, I mean, he didn't, I mean, you typically you probably want to come back and everything just feel normal again. And he comes back and... It's a fake, it's, it's his house, but it's not how he remembers it. It's not only yeah, not in the same place, but also it's like nice It's a museum clean. now. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole museum. Yeah, there's TVs everywhere. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, he didn't understand that 
the guy never solved the gravity equation. Mm -hmm. So he never knew that the Earth was doomed from the moment he left the planet. So that, to him, is also kind of a wake-up call, too, where it's like, oh, shit, my mission was, like, literally the only last chance. Like, there was no way we were going to come back to Earth. And I think that's also the kind of moment that he has when he's there. And he's like, yeah, this is great and all, and it's a nice setup, but it's like this isn't home kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And with – I mean, I guess what I was trying to say about a happy ending is that when he leaves – with how the movie, and not to just be, like, cynical about the ending or, like, what could happen, but with the stakes and how much they went through, he might not have made it to that planet. Or when he did, it, it might not have gone the way they planned on it. Or they make it and they do the same exact thing to that planet over, like, you know, thousands of years. They do the same thing that they did to Earth, and they ruin it. Well, Earth wasn't really ruined. It was the blight thing that was, um, I guess it's kind of like a... It's an extreme dust bowl. It's like a dust bowl. Yeah, but isn't it... I read that the blight, it would take millions of years for it to actually destroy the Earth, which is one of the, like, false things about the science. Yeah, it's a dystopian future, and they kind of exaggerated that aspect where so much overgrowing and so much of the, uh, like, industrial agriculture and all that will cause such sifting sands and everything and the dirt will be so messed up that corn is the only thing that can survive it's but a massive would, dust bowl and they said that. that people would suffocate before the earth was actually destroyed yeah, I mean humanity right. would have been wiped out regardless realistically, so I guess that's what I mean they yeah. would do the same thing and doom themselves like the things with the lungs realistically that would kill us before the food supply problem okay. yeah but I think that what happened is probably a learning lesson, especially since all the people that are there are the ones that have experienced it firsthand. Mm-hmm. So it probably would have been a thing to where other ideas were made. Maybe, but history is sometimes doomed to repeat itself. That's true. And that's what people, I mean, the, that type of thing is always in a lot of movies. Oh, you save the earth, but, or you save, you know, this place, but it'll happen again at some point, or yeah. humanity is doomed to... ruin wherever they live yeah i think a part of it is the fact that there was never a moment where they thought (coughs) that oh yeah we're gonna go this planet and it's gonna be utopia i think they're just trying to survive and i think the fact that they all understand now that they can kind of planet hop they're not really going to the planet just to sit there and be like forever home kind of thing yeah Yeah. like i think they're they're like now we have now we know we can make it yeah so now we can go and try and find more habitable planets keep colonizing keep doing science keep trying to figure out how you can make it make a small adjustments as life goes on and maybe you can get to the point to where it's perfect but it probably will never be perfect the cynical outlook but i mean you know i feel like that's just the way life is (laughs) yeah and also at the same time i think he's the ending is pretty optimistic too because it's in the future and you can see like when he's getting into spaceships and everything the endurances have been massively upgraded yeah like they look like they're still the same ship they kind of look the same but they all look a little more modernized they're all painted black now the suits are different so it's like i feel like their technology has also kind of gotten better well it's been like 50 60 years yeah all the time he's been from the water planet to the black hole all that time he lost i feel like they've gotten much more technologically advanced so i think it's a better chance of him finding brand now on that planet than like with the original endurance because that was basically the prototype and they're like we gotta send you buddy (laughs) yeah i mean i guess that's also a good point that all the technology they use in that movie are prototypes of what would come in the future Yeah. yeah so they kind of all the technology was finalized in this in like the idea of the prototype. I mean, there will always be improvements, but all the technology he used at the end of that movie is the finalized version of what he used. So yeah, I mean, everything is kind of 
it's kind of upgraded. There's just more chances of it working out. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about how miserable these kids must have been eating everything that was corn. It was yeah. like souffle, corn muffins. Just how corn about the, the fact co- that your body can't even break down yeah. or process corn? They, so they're literally just eating empty calories that are not giving any nutrition to their yeah. body. I feel like realistically, if this movie was like rated R, like a horror movie, these kids would be like starving. Emaciated. Yeah. Just sit there yeah. and just on the kitchen table just (laughs) 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 just completely no muscle mass no nothing just skin and bone that'd be horrible (laughs) you just imagine the movie just takes a turn and you see all their plates and it just pans up and they're all just sitting there just like like it completely does a genre mash at the (laughs) end of the movie when he comes back out of the black hole everyone is just like a walking skeleton just (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) all their lungs are filled with dust and they have no muscle mass he didn't save them alternate ending they look like the ghost guy and courage the cowardly dog standing outside his house (laughs) just blowing in the wind (laughs) the ghouls from fallout yeah exactly (laughs) they're like radiated too their skin's glowing lime green oh god that would be horrible they just turn into corn it's like the children of the corn. <laughs> Get a little Anakin moment. I hate corn. Yeah. <laughs> he just comes back and he's like, I don't like corn. <laughs> it gets everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's messy. It's no nutrition. <laughs> no, I'm going to. <laughs> I, would, I think I would go as far to say that this is like Nolan's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Because, I mean, the, the whole ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey, the character basically becomes the star child and you find out that he's becoming this next evolutionary chain of life, and they're the ones that put the obelisk there, and they're the ones that set up all the events that happened in 2001, and it's kind of like Nolan took that and was like, all right, what if I do that, but instead of an obelisk, it's a black hole that leads to a tesseract, and it's him as a fifth-dimensional being (laughs) just leading himself to the fifth dimension to save his family. It's like he makes it much more sentimental. Christopher Roland is good with binding sentimentality with a lot of his stuff oh yeah like it's this movie i feel like if it was written by other directors could have either been much more cliche or absolutely terrifying <laughs> and christopher nolan didn't want to do either of those he wanted he he it's like a perfect blend of everything there's oh, yeah. suspense there's heavy stakes and you don't know whether or not anything is going to go as planned but there's also that the whole sentiment of his kids like he he misses their entire lives and it's not even just that he misses their lives it's that he watches them and he watches them grow up and change within like five minutes in the movie one of the best scenes in the whole movie oh yeah and he then watches them almost i mean at least his son he watches him basically just like sign off like he basically is a dead man to himself at that point oh yeah yeah that's one of the most like earth-shattering scenes is when the screen cuts off and all the music just stops like Hans Zimmer's score stops yeah all the audio just stops it brings you right back into where he is just staring at the blank screen he starts leaning into it and it's like oh my god (laughs) speaking of um talk about or speaking of the music the score for this movie yeah it's incredible is phenomenal yeah it was John Williams right Hans Zimmer Hans Zimmer they're (laughs) the two goats of (laughs) movie scores yeah John Williams is like Indiana Jones, yeah, Star yeah. Wars. He's like, like the iconic, but Hans Zimmer has always brought it. Oh, yeah. He's so good. He I mean, did he, Dune and Blade Runner yeah. 2049. And he's he does just so good. I think he did Inception also, Interstellar. He didn't do Tenet because he was working on Dune, I believe. But I think he's I think he's done a lot of Nolan's movies. I think he did Dunkirk as well. Mm-hmm. 
didn't he also do the Amazing Spider-Man 2 score? Or was that John Williams? It was one of the two. I don't know who did the Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> that is a very niche. <laughs> yeah, I would know that just because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Spider-Man I'm going to look it up. But his his score is incredible, and it's so funny. It's so iconic too. How I've good it I've is. heard that main score everywhere, and I'm so happy to actually like see oh, yeah. the scenes where it's played. People use it a lot for like internet memes and stuff like yeah. that. Same for like the Annihilation score where they use that that fucking noise, the brrrr, or the um <laughs> the him crying, like they use like I've seen that as a meme template yeah. where he's just sobbing while he's watching the tapes. Yeah, because people put random yeah random garbage <laughs> on top of it. Hans Zimmer and a supergroup called the Magnificent Six, consisting of Pharrell Williams, Mike, something I can't pronounce, Junkie XL, Johnny Marr, Andrew Kowanski, and Steve Mazzaro, all did the score for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's a lot of hands stirring the pot. Yeah. That score was really good, too, though. <laughs> That's, like, one of the best superhero scores, like, superhero movie scores, in my opinion. <laughs> Apparently, Danny Elfman did... Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire, because I accidentally looked that up first. Danny Elfman's done a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good composers out there. Yeah. I mean, Hans Zimmer, I think, is one of the best, though, because, you know, he created his own instruments for the Dune score. Did he really? Yeah, he created instruments that, like, feel alien, because he wanted them to sound like they're instruments on Arrakis. Mm -hmm. So he created these fictional instruments to make the music for the movie, and then he also uses the voices of people and like overlays them a million times tenfold and then like samples them and layers them because the voice is a big power in Dune as well. The voice he uses to control people, which I guess have y'all seen Dune? No, no, not yet. Damn it. All right. But <laughs> Hans Zimmer does use. He's really good at making the score its own character. Oh yeah. When he's writing the score, it's all he. I think he. I don't know if it was Christopher Nolan or Hans Zimmer himself that said he basically is writing his own script. Like, for the movie with these scores. Like, oh, yeah. he uses the music as a, as its own character. That's just with their, like, that's there with the characters we see on screen every step of the way. Yeah, it's like a template. Yeah. And they do it very well. Because, I, I mean, I think Hans Zimmer also, when he did Dunkirk, he set one of the songs to um, a 60-second increment counter because time was running out in that moment in Dunkirk and that whole score was actually set to like 60 second intermits and you can actually like hear it like and it's crazy genius the way he does it he's very he's very clever I'll yeah. say in the way he does scores Hans Zimmer is the Christopher Nolan of music <laughs> yeah he's <laughs> also why they work so well together he's a very humble guy oh yeah he was he, he showed a picture of his dog chewing on his like Oscar and he was like this is his favorite chew toy and it's like <laughs> It's a fucking Academy Award. He's <laughs> yeah. cheering on, buddy. <laughs> he don't give a shit. I mean, if Fulton died for that. <laughs> <laughs> he care. He's just there making music. Well, thanks, Mason. Thanks for coming. Nice having you. Nice to be here. Stay home safe, all right? I will. It's good to see you. Yep. Go, eat, see. go eat some cornmeal. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Katie. Give him the outro. We're still recording. I'll do it. All right. This is the end of this CineQuest. Um, what do we do? This is the end of this CineQuest. Uh, watch it here on YouTube and listen to all the other episodes on every single audio streaming service you could ever want and possibly need. Peace out. Woo! <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs>